glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Philippians chapter 4, beginning verse 10. We'll read down through verse 13, most well-known verse in this chapter, most likely. Paul says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. How many of us realize there are sometimes athletes who like to write Philippians 4.13 on their shoe or quote it, uh, reference it at the end of a big play? It's not talking about being a strong physical specimen and being able to reach your dreams in life by being a well-known athlete or whatever it is you want to be popular at. The context of this is Paul was in a very difficult situation and he had a right attitude anyway. I think one of the most difficult things to understand from one human to another is how another human being can go through something extremely difficult and have a sweet and godly spirit about him and rejoice anyway. And that's what's going on here. It's what brings us to this text tonight is verse 10. Paul says, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Now what I want to do is we're going to go back to chapter 1 and I want to put that statement in its context. Uh, we understand and could see this in the life of Paul and we could see it, of course, in Silas in Acts chapter 16. But what Paul and Silas did in Acts 16 and singing and, and praying at midnight, all these years later he's in prison, he's still responding to his adversities the same way. But one of the great concerns I have for us as Christians, especially in, in America, uh, as American citizens, we get spoiled. And if certain things don't go a certain way, instead of rejoicing, we grumble. Uh, we complain, and I'm not talking about I'm not talking about running around with a, a fake smile on your face. I'm talking about having true joy. I think I mentioned this on Sunday. The theme of the book of Philippians is joy and rejoicing. And throughout, the Apostle Paul is instructing the Philippians to rejoice in the Lord. Now, what we need to think about there is this: what you rejoice in then is what makes you rejoice. If we rejoice in the Lord, then we can always be rejoicing. That's what he said in Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice because the Lord never changes. Our circumstances do. Uh, our personal state or condition changes. Um, many things change. Our country changes. Our finances change. Our health changes. Many things change, but the Lord does not. And I don't want to get too, too much ahead of myself, but when Paul says this, he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. In essence, He's illustrating to the Philippians what he's been teaching them. He's not just telling them something that he doesn't personally live by. And I want, I want to ask you tonight, are you a rejoicing Christian? Are you a person that can say, I have joy, I am, I am content tonight. I believe contentment and joy are inseparable. Contentment and thanksgiving are inseparable. Rejoicing is basically another word for giving thanks. It is I am speaking forward that I am glad, that my heart is satisfied, I am content. And tonight, you must ask yourself, am I truly a joyful Christian? If not, then it is needful to address, then what is taking my joy from me? I hear a lot today, there's a tremendous amount of emphasis 
in the church culture. I'm going to use that term like that. In the church culture that is emphasizing all the wrongs that have been done. Now, I think it's needful if in the setting of the local church wrongs have been done to people, whether from member to member or pastor to members or members to pastors. It's needful to address those. But what's happened is there's been almost a business made out of exalting hurts and wrongs as though bitter people are saying, I no longer serve God, I'm no longer in church, or I'm going to completely radicalize and revolutionize church because of the wrongs done to me. And instead of emphasizing the goodness of God and being focused on the goodness of God, so many today are focused on the evils of men. And it's no wonder that many today feel that sin is prevailing and that grace is losing. It's not the truth, but many have that perspective. And for us, may God help us tonight to not get our focus on men, but on the Lord, not get our focus on our circumstances, but on the Lord, if we're going to be something more than just mechanical in our thanksgiving. Let me give you an example before we dig into this. Uh, In raising children, when a child is given something, we teach our children to say thank you, and it's appropriate. Children should be taught to say thank you. When they receive something, it reminds them you didn't deserve that. Someone was kind to you. But how many of you know that a child can habitually say thank you but not be thankful? Oh, absolutely. Even so it is with us. We can habitually say thank you to God without a true sense of gratitude or understanding the benefits we've received. And I think that has so much to do with our perspective. And so uh, tonight I really would desire to see the key phrase, I believe what Paul says, I've learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. May I say this? A contented person does not murmur. Contented people don't complain. They don't grumble. Uh, They may have difficulties. They may express the truth about their dire circumstances. You know, there's a difference in saying, I am grieving, I'm suffering, and saying, "Uh, why is this happening to me? I hate this. You can know you're suffering, acknowledge it, ask others to pray for you, but have a right attitude in it. So in that, let's look at Paul here tonight. Go to Philippians 1 if you're not there already. Philippians chapter 1. I want to see, first of all, when Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. What was his circumstance or situation at that moment? Consider Paul's situation when he rejoiced. When he said, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. What kind of a situation was he rejoicing in So what was the situation of his life? Well, Philippians 1, 7, and 8 explains what his situation is when he writes the book of Philippians. Paul says, Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray that your love may yet uh, may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. If you skip on down to verse 12, he says, but I, would, uh, the, uh, but I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me. All right, so some bad things that happened to him. He said, the things which happened, that happen, which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace." And in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, 
not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice. Yea, and will rejoice. When Paul says, I rejoiced greatly, and I in the Lord greatly, uh, he didn't say, I rejoiced in my situation greatly. I rejoiced in my circumstances greatly. He said, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. The situation he found him in, I want to kind of articulate it for us, if you would, as it relates to his circumstances and people, is he's in a situation where he is detained by other human beings. The Roman government had arrested him yet again for preaching the gospel, for doing, meaning man was punishing him for obeying God. Detained means he's in bonds. I use the word detained. He is in bonds. He is not free to go do what he wants. He's lost his, his physical freedom. He is in a cell, perhaps in, in chains, and so he's in bonds. He is not able to go and do as he pleases. Not typically the kind of situation we rejoice in. Tonight, you're in church because you want to be. You chose to be. Some of the little ones may not be, but the rest of us are here by choice. You got to choose. There are people who can't come to church tonight. Their bonds may not be imposed on them by the the government. Their bonds may be imposed on them by health. They're not able to be in church. And yet, here's Paul, not able to be where he would like to be if he had the choice. He would not have chosen to go sit in a Roman jail cell if it was his choice. But he did what the Lord told him. And the effect and the result of that was he was detained by others. Other people were treating Paul unjustly. You with me tonight? They were treating him unjustly. There are many people tonight who grumble, murmur, complain, claim to be Christians, but complain, complain. They've never moved on to serve God because someone in their life treated them with injustice. Now, the lost world will burn cities down because they believe they've been treated unjustly. But a Christian should never quit church. A Christian should never quit serving God. A Christian should never quit rejoicing in the goodness of God because another human being has treated them unjustly. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. There are an entire generation of people today that say, I am not serving God the way my parents did because I was treated unjustly. There are people who say, I'm not back in church because a fellow member treated me unjustly. And they've turned into very bitter people, very bitter people, people who have not gotten over another human being doing them wrong. By the way, that's, I believe, the number one cause for bitterness. We can all know that Paul was not being treated correctly by his own government. He was treated unjustly. So he's detained by others, which stands for the injustice of others in his lives. He's detached from others. Jail can be a lonely place. He is not able to be with the people he loves the most. How in the world do you have Thanksgiving on Thanksgiving when you can't be with the people that you like to rejoice with? Paul was a people person. Here's a man who had a traveling team of fellow servants. He's not able to be with them. He has churches he loves and wants to go visit and minister to. He's not able to be with them. Paul loves to go into the the city square or into the synagogue and preach the gospel. He's not able to do that. Paul, the man who loves ministering to people because that's what God gave him to do, is stuck in jail, not only mistreated by or detained by others, but detached from others. He's not able to be with the people that bring in the most joy. There is something about human fellowship. There really is, especially about Christian fellowship. 
If tonight you knew that tomorrow you had to spend all of Thanksgiving Day alone, there's no way you could rejoice because you'd be detached from those you like to rejoice with. You with me? But Paul said, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, though he is mistreated, falsely used by the people, detained in jail. He is detached from others. He's lonely and alone. He was despised by others. Philippians 1.16 says some were preaching Christ of contention, meaning they knew Paul would love to be able to go out. Let me put it to you this way. Let me try to illustrate it to you this way. I enjoy spending time with my kids. And let's say uh, for some reason I was detained and not able to spend time with my children, and some guy who hates my guts starts inviting my kids out for pizza all the time, saying, hey, you guys want to go out for pizza this afternoon? And he sends me notes all the time, said, oh, you have the most wonderful children. I was able to enjoy an, an afternoon having pizza with them today. They're so sweet, such nice kids. And he's sending me notes in jail all the time, telling me how good of a time he's having with my kids. You think it's going to make me happy? You know what? You know what Paul lived and died to do? Preach the gospel. And some people said, we'll rub salt in Paul's wounds. We'll preach the gospel just because he can't. We'll do it to spite him. He can't, so we'll go do it just to rub some salt in his wounds. And he said, some are preaching Christ of contention, meaning they're only doing it to cause a fight. Some people bring up Bible verses, not because they believe it, but to be contentious. You know what? Paul, had, Paul was detained by others, detached from others, despised by others and deficient because of the lack of giving of others, not because people didn't want to give, but they had, the Bible says, lacked opportunity. Philippians chapter 4, meaning in jail, Paul had gone without some things that he needed and at seasons in his life. Uh, he says in verse 10 of Philippians 4, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last, I mean, there's a span of time here, at the last your care of me hath flourished again wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. When he talks about their care, if you read on down through Philippians 4, he's talking about a, a material gift that the Philippians sent him. He said, I know you intended to. You were careful to, to send some supplies my way, and you at one point were the only church that was communicating with giving and receiving. So the indication is there was a season in Paul's life where he had to go without. If you read on down, it says in verse 12, he says, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. How in the world, if this has been his situation, he's in jail, not with the people he loves, he's able to get down and write a pen and paper and write the people he cares about, detached from others, he knows there are people on the outside that are using their freedom to have confrontation and be contentious with him. How in the world do you say, I rejoiced? When all that's going on, when people have treated you unjustly, people are treating you unjustly, people are using their freedom to assault you in your bondage, but he says, I rejoiced. He said in chapter 1, he rejoiced. How do you rejoice? Well, you don't rejoice by focusing on your situation. Uh, Paul was not rejoicing because of his situation. He was rejoicing in his situation. And so then we see Paul's situation. Number two, though, you see Paul's satisfaction. Back to Philippians 4. 
His situation is he's in bondage, despised by others, detached from those he loves and cares for, uh, being being uh, mistreated and unjustly treated by his government and those in authority in his life. He's deficient of the provision that he needs. But, verse 10 of Philippians 4, he said, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again. So the gift package, if you would, from the Philippian church lifted his spirits and encouraged him. He said, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want. He said, I'm not rejoicing because I, I, I'm, I was sad before and now uh, that I got what I needed, now I can rejoice. I'm not speaking in respect of want. And he explains, he said, for I have learned, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Now, I'm going to get off the trail of what we're specifically looking at here. Paul's in an adverse circumstance, and he says, I've learned to be content in it anyway. In spite of my circumstance, I've learned to be uh, content, not to be... Uh, the idea of being content has the idea of being able to rest in your circumstance or situation without complaint and without getting an attitude of despite. You're able to rest and retain your joy in spite of what's going on, you're, you're content in your circumstance. So I want, I want to go here for just a minute. One of the, one of the areas, how many, how many of you, if I said someone's discontented, what age bracket would come to your mind? Someone that's just grumbly and not content with their life. I'm sorry? Okay. Surely can be. A lot of times we think if somebody's just going to be grumpy or discontent, they might be an older person. I wish they were young again, but you're absolutely correct. Many times in our youth, we'll think, well, if I were older, right now I'm so limited. I am, I'm not a kid anymore, and I'm not an, a full-grown adult yet. I am in limbo, and I don't like where I'm at. I just want life to speed up so I can finally get the things that will make me happy. Now, I say this, young person, you'll do well to learn to be content right where you are. You're only going to be the age you are once. You're where you are right now. Don't get ahead of God. Be content in the season of life you're in. God has you where you are. It's the season you're in. He has things in your life right now. If he didn't put certain things in your life, he certainly is allowing them, and he will use them for your benefit if you let him. And so then, I just I have to say that tonight because discontentment often learns to raise its ugly head early in our life. We are discontented with where we are as far as our career development or where we are in relationship to marriage or not being married or whatever it may be. Paul said, I have learned in whatsoever state I am in. If I'm in jail and I don't have what I need, I'm content. When I'm out of jail and things are going well, maybe I've got a few extra tent-making jobs, I've learned to be content. Whatever situation... I've learned not to get careful and troubled. He says this right after telling the Philippians, be careful for nothing. Do you know what you are when you're careful for nothing? Content. My life is not what I want it to be right now, perhaps. Perhaps my character. Now, don't don't be content with being less than what God wants you to be. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about being content with your circumstances, being content with your provisions, when there are circumstances and things that are out of our control, we must learn to be content. So Paul's satisfaction, I use that word in place of the word contentment. Notice a few things about his contentment or his satisfaction. Number one, notice the depth of it. I, uh, he says in verse 11, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in almost any state that I am in. 
Now, whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. He is saying that from a state that was not very savory. He is in a, a current situation that's, as we've already outlined, that's not the most comfortable or encouraging, but he said, I've learned to be content. I've learned to rest in the Lord in whatever state I'm in. I've learned therewith to be content. We quote this verse, but we need to apply it. We need to apply it because there are times there are things that are out of our control and what happens is the circumstances are used by our adversary in our life or we allow our flesh to kick in to say, I don't like the circumstance and the state I'm in. Instead of letting God do his work through that state of time and in that circumstance and learning to be content and say, you know what, I believe contentment and patience are inseparable. We have to learn to wait on God to do the things in our life he wants to do. So the depth of Paul's contentment is he said, I've learned in whatsoever state I am. Meaning if I have more than I need, I'm content with that. If I have less than I need, I'm going to be content with that. I'm not going to fret and worry and be careful and frustrated and angry because my life is difficult. I have learned to rest in my circumstance and not let, not let my circumstances determine my attitude. Please don't miss what I just said. We are so prone to let our situation determine our attitude. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. You cannot help the fact that a circumstance affects your attitude. We cannot help if something uh, gives us a sad feeling or something stirs anger. But you and I can help if we stay there, if we allow that in our spirit. You and I do not have to be grumblers. We do not have to be angry about our circumstances. The root of anger at my circumstances is pride. I'm not getting things the way I want them to be, and so I'm upset about it. When the fact of the matter is, there are things that are not in our control, and they're in God's control, and we need to learn to thank God for them, knowing that all things do work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. And so, especially, I want you young people to pay attention. You must learn that life does not always go in a way that makes you happy. Life is going to make you unhappy certain days. But you must learn in those unhappy moments to be content. To say, you know what? I'm going to rest and just rely on the Lord in this circumstance as well. And so Paul, the depth of his contentment, he said, I've learned in whatsoever state I am to be content. But don't miss this, the development of his contentment. What did he say? I have learned. This is rocket science. How do you learn to be content in good circumstances and bad. There's only one way. You have to have good circumstances and bad. You have to have them both. You have to have good days. You have to have bad days. You have to have days when you're on point and you have to have days when your brain scrambled. You have to have days and seasons of life when finances are good and you have to have seasons of life when finances are not You have to have seasons of life when your health is good and you have to have seasons when it's not. You have to have days when all your relationships seem to be firing like a well-oiled machine and you have to have times when they're not. You have to have times when people like you and you have to have times when people hate you. You have to have all those seasons to learn to be content in them. God says, I don't want your spirit being ruled by your circumstances. I want you to rule your spirit in that by the leadership of the Spirit of God and learn no matter how your life is going, no matter if things are going your way or not, to be content, to maintain joy 
and, and, and satisfaction with who you are in the Lord, no matter what your setting is. God wants us to be like the ship on the sea, that the waves are rocking, but it's well anchored, and it's not drifting with the waves because it's anchored. And we are to be that way, and we'll get to that in a moment, what our anchor is, which you know already. My point is this, God had done some things in Paul's life. He had allowed some things. Paul said, that, remember, the things that have happened unto me, let me ask you something. Something that happens to you, is that in your control or out of your control? When we say, you wouldn't believe what happened to me today, it's out of our control. God is going to allow things out of your control to happen to you so you can learn to maintain joy in every circumstance. God does not want our joy to be like this. Today, oh man, my joy is good. I worked on this project and it worked well and it finished and I did just exactly just the way I wanted it to. And then I was hoping for this and praying for this and it happened just the way I wanted it to. Let me put it to you this way. When we first came here and, and God allowed us to start this church, things went unexpectedly well. People came, and I'm not saying it's gone gangbusters, but more people came than we counted on over the first year or two. Um, God gave us a building. But, you know, we've gone through seasons where God wasn't giving us buildings. And we aren't seeing people added. I wonder, are we going to maintain our joy as a church? When God's not adding to the church is when he is. When God is not um, maybe giving more assets, when things are not going as smoothly. You know, I believe the disposition of our church should be the same whether we're in a fruitful season or an unfruitful season. When things are going well and we're seeing successes and victories and when we're under the gun and being battled and pushed back, you see, we're supposed to be, Paul told Timothy, be instant in season, out of season. It's the same thing. Learn to be content whatsoever state you're in. You know what? If the only time I sing with all my heart at church is when I've had a really good week, I need to get the spiritual barometer on myself and figure out what's going on. The truths that we sing are the same no matter how my week is gone. Amen? Amen. If the only time I enjoy my Bible reading is when life is going well, something's wrong because that Bible is just as applicable to me and helpful to me. In fact, probably more when my life's not going the way I want it to. My point is this. There are things that happen that change our circumstances. And Paul said, I have learned to be content in all of that. I've been able to maintain joy and satisfaction when things were well, meaning Paul was not pulling his happiness and his contentment and his, success, his joy from his circumstances. That's not where it was coming from. He learned in whatsoever state he was in therewith to be content. Let me give you this picture before we move on and finish this up. On the boat, when, when there's a storm on the Sea of Galilee and the disciples are frantic, thinking they're going under, what do we find the Lord Jesus doing? Sleeping in the back. Now, is there something wrong with him for not losing his mind in the middle of a storm? Or something wrong for them for losing their mind when he was sitting back there asleep? Now, if it were us, we'd say, I'd be right there with the disciples. What are you doing? We're dying. You know what Jesus is illustrating is the circumstances did not determine the condition of his soul. He knew God was in control. He knew he was right where he was supposed to be. And we are to learn from him that our lives can be lived the same way. 
So the depth of Paul's contentment, I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content, the development was it was something learned. You don't snap your fingers and learn to be a contented person overnight. God has to teach us this through giving us seasons of abounding and giving us seasons of not, through giving us seasons where we're lifted up and seasons where we're brought down. And we must learn all of that as part of God's dealing in our life to teach us to be content in every circumstance. And so the depth of his contentment, the development of it, the desirability of his contentment, very quickly in 1 Timothy chapter 6, we'll touch on this much in our series on godliness in Sunday school, but in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul is dealing with what is truly valuable, what is truly valuable. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, he's warning Timothy against the love of money and against teachers who are teaching that gain is godliness. 1 Timothy chapter 6, in verse 6, he says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness, these two together is tremendous wealth. Great, you have a, If you are godly and content in a godly state, you have an advantage over everybody around you. Verse 7, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. And so the instruction here is contentment is a great asset, a great advantage to you when it's coupled with godliness. If you're ungodly, you should not be content. All right? And if you're godly, you should be content because that's what really matters. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Paul says, because I'm in the will of God, you know, and then he, he could know his circumstances could not work together for bad. So I'm content because I know I'm living for God. He was being godly and content therewith. And I believe Paul says this, I can rejoice because I'm content in a godly life. And so then, godliness with contentment is great gain. Paul's satisfaction, the depth of it, he learned in whatsoever state. The development, he learned it through the lessons given, even as God will teach us if we'll let him. Let patience have her perfect work that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. The desirability, you ought to make being content and godly the ambition of your life. That should be our daily objective, to be a godly person, to be a person wholeheartedly given to the will of God and content in the circumstances, whether it's going well or not. You know what that tells me? Godliness does not mean it brings good circumstances, as the health and welfare people preach. You're godly. Some days it's going to go well, and some days it's going to go really bad. But if you're godly, you can be content in that, and then you have great gain. Finally, Paul's sufficiency. How do you do it? How do you learn in every situation, whether advantageous or difficult, to be content and satisfied with who you are and where you are? Well, Philippians 4.13 is the answer. I can do all things, meaning I can suffer, I can be abased, and I can abound. I can, I can be ashamed because I don't have enough, or I can abound and have more than I need. I'm, I can be full or I can be hungry. I can abound or suffer need. I can have too much and have not enough. It doesn't matter. Where does that ability to rejoice in that come from? I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. So a young person says, you know what? God wants me to serve them in this capacity. It may not be what we would call vocational ministry. They say, you know, God wants me to get a job and work. And as I follow God's will, I realize that things are going to turn out well. And then you follow God's will and you lose your job and 
you struggle for a while, you can't seem to find housing, uh, you this or that, and all of a sudden you know you're doing what God wants you to do in obedience to Him. You're, you're pursuing everything you know to be the will of God, but you're not seeing the results that you might think you would. Well, if you know that you have Christ in you and Christ with you, then it really doesn't matter the circumstance. He's the same always. And so, Paul's sufficiency, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Every time God deals with contentment, it would seem somewhere it deals with the value of having Christ. And so, uh, in the sufficiency of Christ, number one, he was present, obviously, in Paul's life. And he's present in the life of the saved person. I can do all things through Christ. The, in, the in, insinuated truth there is Paul knew Christ was in him. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 let your conversation be without covetousness. Don't be longing for what God has not given you. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. How? For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Meaning, man may cause you adverse circumstances. He may bind you, treat you unjustly. He may, he may uh, cause you to be lonely and separated from those that you love to fellowship with, whatever it may be. But you know what you say, but I still got the Lord. Uh, so that we, we need to focus on the fact that the Lord said he will never leave us nor forsake us, meaning the sufficiency for living a satisfied, contented life is knowing that Christ dwells in you, that you have access to God, that Christ is your Savior, knowing that you have the presence of Christ. Number two, valuing the preciousness of Christ. Yes, Christ may be with you if you're saved, but if you think something is more important than that, you've got to get your thinking changed. Having Christ is better than having a high-paying job. Having Christ is better than being popular in this life. Having Christ is better than having everyone love you and having all the things together in the family. Christ is more precious than anything and anyone. That is not... That is not fable and fairy tale. That is truth. Jesus Christ truly is more valuable than any earthly relationship or possession. I'm grateful we have this building, but we understand if man took our church building, that doesn't mean man can take church. We have Christ. And my point is this tonight. We'll never be content until we're content with having him. As long as our contentment is gauged on a certain set of circumstances, you'll never be content. It's impossible. But if your contentment is based on knowing that Jesus Christ is your Savior and that you have eternity settled because of that, when you get eternal values in place, you and I can be content because we're not basing our joy on earthly circumstances. We're basing our joy on the presence of an abiding person who never changes. And so then, uh, Paul had said in Philippians uh, chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, we saw this on Sunday, Yea, doubtless, uh, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. You realize all that Paul gave up in order to have Christ. Christ encountered him, and to believe on Christ, which is how you get Christ, to put your trust in him, he had to give up a number of things. You know what? Paul gave up the things that would have kept him from having to suffer want. 
He gave up the things that would have kept him out of jail, kept his pantry full, kept his pocketbook full for that matter. Paul gave that up in order that he might know Christ. And he said, I don't regret it one bit. I got news for you tonight. Many of us take for granted Jesus Christ. We take him for granted in our lives. If you took Jesus Christ out of your life and I could fill your bank with $10 million and you could live that way for a while, one step into eternity you'd say, I wished I had Christ. I got news for you. I don't want to walk through this life without him, let alone into eternity. And I don't believe we value and estimate the, the preciousness of Christ as we should or we would be more content. You see, when I don't have enough, I still have Christ. And when I have more than enough, I still have Christ. You see, Paul had his, his values right. He realized when Jesus Christ saved me, I got everything I need for time and eternity. What did Jesus say? But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things should be added unto you. Meaning if you serve me, I'll take care of you. Now, do we believe that? What happens is God allows certain times in our life to test that. Do we believe that he'll keep his promise to add those things to us that we need if we obey him. And so if we're going to have the, the contentment Paul did, we must understand that it's the presence of Christ that matters most. It's the preciousness of Christ that makes me realize he is more precious than gold. He and having him as my Savior and being his sheep is more precious than any other relationship. And then that brings us, of course, to the power of Christ. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ. He said, I can suffer hunger through Christ. Didn't Christ suffer hunger? I can be separated from my loved ones through Christ. There are certain adverse circumstances we think, I don't know how I could face that and maintain my joy. Well, I can do all things through Christ, which what? Strengtheneth me. Meaning his presence gives me strength to endure adverse circumstances and therefore I can be content in any of them because I have him and his life in me. And the, the confidence Paul had was not in himself Say, I'm tough. I can go through circumstances and I'll put a smile on my face. He didn't have a little ditty he went through in some routine, some positive uh, power of positive thinking CD listened to. He had the spirit of Jesus Christ. And he said, Christ ministers to me when things are not going the way that I, sh- that I would like for them to, when things are adverse, and I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And he would turn right around and tell the Philippians, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory, by Christ Jesus. You know what? We do not need to gauge the success of our lives. We do not need to gauge the, uh, the meaning or the value of our lives by our situations and by our circumstances. We need to gauge it by the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and know that when he's leading, he's going to lead us through ups and downs. He's going to lead us through valleys and mountains, through dark times and light times, what the psalmist said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Meaning the darkness is not going to change my confidence into fear. Why? For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. May I say this? Get your focus on Christ, live a godly life, and you can learn, as, as Paul did, and I can learn, that in whatsoever state we are, therewith to be content. Because our contentment is not based on our circumstances, it's based on who Jesus Christ is and the fact that he will never leave us nor forsake us. We know these terms, but they need to be practically applied into our lives. We need to ask ourselves, am I stable spiritually and emotionally? Do, I have a, do the people around me know that I'm going to rejoice when I'm having a good day and when I'm having a bad day? 
That gets a little convicting, doesn't it? See, my, my circumstances are not to rule my spirit. I'm to have that ruled by him. 